welcome to Nice Jewish Fangirls, a podcast where three Jewish women discuss all of the things that we are obsessed with, brought to you by JewishCoffeeHouse.com. My name is Michal Schick, and I am your host. I'm joined by my lovely co-hosts, S.M. Rosenberg. Hello. And Tamar Herman. Hello. So today, in the spirit of things that are happening in the world, we're going to be discussing our favorite fictional politicians. But first... We are going to be discussing, of course, our current obsessions. So, Tamar, do you want to t- get us started? Uh, okay. Um, it's more like a current, I'm over this obsession. Uh, <laughs> I read I read uh, Lee Bardugo's Crooked Kingdom this uh, Shabbos. It's actually Michal's copy or her sister Yale's copy. I'm not so sure whose book is it is. But uh, they suggested that I read the Lee Bardugo duo of books related to, what was the first one? Six of Crows. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciated the series. I liked a lot of it. I thought that it had a lot of similarities to The Lies of Lamora by Scott Lynch, which I previously read. Of course, this is a, a YA novel, so it's a little bit different. I, I had mixed feelings about the books, but I really appreciated the diversity of the characters. Like, it's extremely rare to get lead characters in young adult novels that aren't perfectly beautiful. Like, the main characters, there's one of the there's several um well there's several characters who are atypical like one of the lead characters is has uh is handicapped another one is does not fit into the sensibilities of what i think hollywood would describe as beautiful uh at least two of them have uh, a lot of have been sex workers and there's just like a lot of different things there's a few main couples and at least, and one of them is a gay couple and that's something we're seeing more and more in young adult novels so like that wasn't even like the most surprising thing for me it was the fact that like the most beautiful girl was constantly eating and I was like I could be that so that was uh (laughs) that was like really a nice moment because it's rare to see like representation of girls who eat in novels um so yeah I really I liked parts of it I really appreciated the recommendation I'm trying to decide now if I'm going to read the trilogy related to the Grisha trilogy so I guess it just it depends how much I'm thinking about the books in the near future to decide if I'm going to go read those. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I definitely liked Six of Crows uh, more than I liked the Grisha trilogy, but it definitely has a lot of the same rich world building and kind of, you know, twisted, um, I don't know, things don't go in, exactly in a straight line in these books and, and it's, it interests me. Did it, did the Grisha books relate directly at all? Like were any of the main characters or any of the characters ones we had seen before? Because I was wondering um, at one point that the privateer, I don't want to like say anything if someone hasn't read it yet. Like the privateer, I was wondering if he was in that, in those trilogies. Like I couldn't figure out who was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Some of the people in uh, Crooked Crooked Kingdom who you were like, who are you exactly? And why are Mm. you here? Those are all people from the Grisha trilogy. Okay, that makes so much more sense. I did like those people, so now maybe I will go read the Grisha trilogy. Yeah, it's uh, it's good stuff, and the covers, of course, are beautiful. She she has the best luck with covers. Um, I am currently obsessed with, you know, I was thinking about whether I should put this as an obsession because I'm sort of on the fence about it. But then I was like, well, I've I've lis- been listening to it for a couple weeks, almost nonstop, so. I guess it counts as an obsession. Uh, there's a podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, which is done by two humanist chaplains who are graduates of Harvard Divinity School. 
and they are reading Harry Potter like it's the Bible. And it it's really interesting. They both have very soothing voices and you know, it doesn't really satisfy me in the sense of um sort of the you know, when I when I listen to analyses of books usually, I'm I'm looking at them on a literary level and you know, deep discussion of the characters and motivations and and stuff like that and there that does come up occasionally but for the most part it's it's kind of a like spiritual reading of the book so it's like how they felt about this passage and and they read each chapter through a particular theme that they just kind of happen to pick and uh so it's it's very very interesting and you know very well done and well recorded uh but yeah i've been i've been finding that a very kind of soothing stable to listen to. And SM, what are you obsessed with? Well, um, because this past week was Friday the 13th, so that marks the release of A Series of Unfortunate Events, the new series, uh, TV series, uh, rather than the movie that is coming to Netflix. And it is basically modeled on the book series which if you read it uh it has that has 13 books of course because unlucky number 13 and it is ridiculously over the top and cartoonishly depressing and silly and sad um but you can't take it too seriously because of the way it's written in this completely over the top style and they managed to very much transfer that from the books to the to the TV show. I never saw the movie that they made, but apparently it was terrible because they crammed everything in and there was just too much going on. But this, they've basically, they've taken each book and turned it into a two block, uh, two episode block. And so you have two episodes for the first book and two for the second, two for the third, two for the fourth. And that's as far as they've got. They've got eight episodes. They're about 50 minutes each. And they basically follow the book beat by beat um, in a lot of places, uh, but they do add in a lot of uh, stuff that was going on uh, behind the scenes that you only started to find out about in later books. Um, but I believe if many, if not all of the episodes, they ha it says it lists Daniel Handler as the uh, writer of the teleplay. Daniel Handler is the actual name of the author of Series of Unfortunate Events, whose pen name was Lemony Snicket, who um, the author wrote into the story as a character as well as being the pseudonym for the writer, um, which is an interesting shtick. Um, and he just seems to love putting in all kinds of different Jewish references. Uh, he. I mean, we were discussing this the other day. Um, Tamar said that she was a little, uh, a little weirded out or uncomfortable by the fact that there are so many villains who are making Jewish references. And I pointed out that there were some good characters who make the Jewish references also. It just seems like everybody knows a little too much about Judaism because Daniel Handler just likes to stick in Jewish references. And that's a lot of fun as a Jewish viewer to me. Um, it's, never, it's not like really over the top with that um it's just here and there I like there and there's a gif that i definitely want of like all the bad guys throwing rice and saying mazel tov 
I I would use that. I would use that everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's very very good. I you know, I I find it almost unnervingly like it, it makes me feel like I'm a kid again and am stuck in that world of just like everything is unfair. There are no rules. Nothing. The kids are so much smarter than the adults. All yeah. the adults are so stupid. And nothing and it's it's not unlike I think how how I feel a lot about you know, modern politics, and it's just like, nothing, nothing is follow following the rules. Everything that I was told to be true is not true, or no nobody's listening to it, and there's just a very, a very strong sense of, like, unfairness, and like, well, you deal with it, you know, uh, and I, I really appreciate that, and as somebody who was very disappointed by the end of the books, I was kind of blown away by how much. Actually, my sister, my sister uh, sent me a message. She's she's writing it. Uh, she's uh, watching the show now, and is kind of just loving it and and gushing to me about it. I've I've watched the whole series, and she's kind of working her way through it. And the way she described it is that the books of a series of unfortunate events are the shot, and the TV series is basically the midrash. And so for, for in layman's terms, that would be the, the simple text would be the books and the, um, the deeper explanation, uh, would, which is what you find in, in, you know, Bible study would be the, TV the fan show. fiction. Yeah. Well, it's not even fan fiction because it's, because you know, it's written it's, by the author. Yeah. And it, it is the extra layer of like, so this is what was happening behind the scenes. And, you know, here are these people who like, whose name was dropped twice, but is actually a character now. And it's really kind of kind of spectacularly well done so yeah i'm, I'm and the theme song well. yes <laughs> yes the theme song is like this show will wreck your evening your whole life and your day <laughs> and the order of those words should give you a clue as to the ridiculousness um and it's sung by neil patrick harris who plays the primary villain in case there was anyone who didn't know that that is one of the big draws yeah, I, I did want to ask you guys something, actually, because I'd heard people talking about, um, and, and this is something we sort of forgot to talk about when we were talking about Fantastic Beasts, but the the idea of the kind of stereotypical Jewish look as a mark of villainy, you know, obviously Count Olaf has a hook nose, and he has a unibrow, and he is, like, tall and spindly, and, like, people yeah. can translate that as being similar to character caricatures of, of Jews and that came up in Fantastic Beasts with the um, goblin gangster character who who definitely kind of looks similar to those stereotypes but those things almost always completely go over my head like unless the character is explicitly Jewish like they're wearing a kippah or whatever it does not occur to me to be offended or suspicious of that particular portrayal um, so, and I don't, I don't know if I should be, because I think a lot of people do it unconsciously and aren't referencing, you know, Judaism or Jews in any kind of way. So, I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? I don't usually notice it either. I didn't, especially with uh, Count Olaf and Neil Patrick Harris in this one, because Neil Patrick Harris is, like, super duper white. Um, and that's my association with him. So, like, I didn't even, my brain didn't even go to the, you know... Jewish cartoon, you know, space with that. But I can definitely see how people could go there. Um, but yeah, mostly it's, to me, it's just Neil Patrick Harris, prosthetic nose. Right. Tamar, how about you? Do you feel sensitive to those kind of portrayals or? 
Uh, yeah, but as SM said, I, I I didn't feel comfortable with a lot of the portrayals of the villains constantly like taking up Jewish theater. Like, yeah, Jews had a big part in Broadway, so a lot of people associate Jews with the like musical industry and the show industry in general. So like you could say that, but it just kind of I I've always felt that Count Olaf was kind of a stereotypical Jew with his like hook nose and the way he acts and like doesn't mind killing babies and whatever. So I didn't really love that. I mean, Handler's clearly Jewish, but it seems like he drew on like what the worst like depiction of villain he could think of. And that was how people typically described Jews in comics and whatnot. So I didn't really feel comfortable with it. I, I think I had a little bit of a different reception to the show. I had a little bit of a different reaction to the show than you guys did. I grew frustrated with the books when I was reading them the first time around because I didn't love all like the hints and then this and then that. And then I stopped reading them way before the end came out and I still read the end and that just even frustrated me even more. And I'm about three, four episodes in and I think I'm going to stop. I, I think they did a really good job producing the show, but I don't find the story particularly drawing me in like the books once did. I, I really like Patrick Warburton though. I'm, oh, I'm a big fan of him. So amazing. I I like the rule. I mean, I like seasons of rules of engagements and like he's cronk. Like, he's just a really great person um, and a really great actor. And I think he, he's finally like, getting his due. I've seen several people post, wait, wait, cronk is uh lemony snicket. And I'm just like, that's Patrick Warburton. He's really great. But I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't really love, that was just a side note. I, I think that Count Olaf and a lot of his associates have been, were portrayed as just typical, stereotypical Jews. Uh, like the, the the twins, they just look to me like, these are Jewish bubbies being really annoying. They do look like Jewish bubbies. And I don't, I don't think that was intentional. And I don't think that, I mean, I don't believe that Handler was making Count Olaf to be a traditional anti-Semitic trope, but he could have been. And, and, and all the, all the, and as SM said before, like Strauss was a good person and she was clearly Jewish, but she was the only clearly Jewish character in the series so far. And she was also the most ridiculous character in the series so far. I really, I really liked her. That's a high bar. I think she was, she, she like let herself be blinded by everything all the time. I mean, Mr. Poe is also just ridiculous. I just really, I I was all the adults are like that. I was super disgruntled and like, it makes sense. And it kind of is the exegesis of the books. Like it's, it's showing even more so how the Baudelaire's ended up in this really horrible situation. And that's the point. Like the point of the series is that this is not a happy story, but I don't know. I like, I said in a previous podcast, I like watching happy things and this has no remotely happy moments in it to me. So it's right. uh, in the title. It has a few happy moments, but they love, they love pulling the rug out. I kind of, that's the whole point. I might do what I did with Game of Thrones where I watched the first season and then I skipped a few seasons because I read the books and then I'll wait till the final seasons come out. But I know people will hate on me for that. Well, the thing is, I actually think that um, the the movement of the story, I feel like it's only going to go up from here because the first books are where the real formula happens and where it's kind of like every single book is the same adventure. And then once we start getting to books five, six, seven, uh, you know, that, that is where the 
the magic starts to happen and you know eventually for me it, it doesn't really pan out but the mystery and the questions that the series is directly the the show is directly engaging with come from those books so i'm really looking forward to it i mean I, the way they ended the the final this is not a spoiler but like the way they ended uh the eighth episode it really does make you think that they have a plan uh going forward so i certainly hope that that's the case and yeah so that is our segment on what we are obsessed with and now we're going to go on to a totally like not political controversial at all whatever situation we're going to talk about politics ah! but it's fictional politics so it's fine um it's fine right guys it's totally fine i think it's fine yeah, no one's gonna flame war with us we're gonna be fine yeah okay so um we're each gonna pick a politician uh from a fictional context who we really, really like, and kind of discuss them and praise them and maybe criticize them. And uh, Tamar, you want to go first? Uh, sure. I actually just tweeted on our account at Jewish Fangirls that we were going to be talking about this, and Steve Jeffrey said two people, and he asked if my character counts, so I'm going to say yes, Steve. Jed Bartlett does count because he's the person <laughs> yeah. I was going to be talking about. Jeb Bartlett was the president on the West Wing. Uh, I started watching it a few week, a few months ago, and I'm uh, about to start the fourth season this week. I really like Jed Bartlett. I think that he's he's not the most practical president ever, and they make that very clear throughout the show that he's kind of more of an idealist than anything. But he's very smart, and he's very attuned to the people around him, and he's just a like he's an economist and a genius and several times throughout the series they make a point of saying stop trying to be like such a good friend to the people of America you're not you're the president you're smarter than everybody else you have a Nobel Prize in econ economics you clearly know more and you can do more because you're the president and I think that particularly this week as we're electing President Trump that I like watching Bartlett because it's the show does a really good job of not necessarily, I mean, he's, he's a democratic president, but they don't necessarily say you're right all the time. And I think that's something that America kind of misses with the position of president. Like the president's supposed to be the one elected by everybody, but the president isn't always right. And the show makes a very clear point by showcasing that the characters don't always agree with the president, but whatever the president decides ends up being the end of the day. And I think that I like that a lot about him. I don't necessarily love every episode with, Jed Bartlett, I think a lot of the times he he has his head stuck up his ass. Sorry, um, <laughs> he. I, but I think that he he has the presidential qualities of surrounding himself by people who have different opinions from him. Like they go out of their way at one point to bring in a Republican to the White House, and there are several episodes where they just are like, "Here, we need your opinion, and we need the Republican opinion on this thing." And a lot of the series is about how bipartisanship is not a thing in the US and that's that's like something that I'd like to see more of in TV like showing I I really was just watching Jed Bartlett and just like you're not the president that this country can really ever have but you're the country that we should always want because he's always open to different ideas and even if he is very set in his ways just a somebody's opinion or someone's take on something will often make him sit down and think about, oh, I didn't see that viewpoint. And just as a person, I think that's something like really important to recognize that you're not the center of the world, even though you might think it, and he literally is the center of America. So, but just like he has an aide in the show, Charlie Young, and he just some, once in a while, he'll say something about 
growing up black and his mother was a cop shot and killed um in the very first episode and you're just like sitting there like he'll just charlie will just say something and jed bartlett will just be like oh that's something i never ever faced in my life as a white man in the u.s growing up like privileged and everything and just charlie just saying one thing it'll make him think oh i understand what's wrong with this country or i understand what we need to fix about this country not necessarily that something's wrong with this country but how we can make this country better and i think that's something i'd I'd like politicians to generally strive for so i just i just really like his attitude of never if he's right he's right but even when he's right he can also be wrong and i think that's something that i really appreciate from the show I haven't seen The West Wing, but... Um, you should... I wasn't I going know. to, <laughs> and then I really liked it. I know, I know. I have. I've seen it all. I've seen it all probably multiple times. So I um, also I also really like Sam Seaborn, and I just watched an episode where the president says to... It's Rob Lowe's character, Sam Seaborn, and, and at one point the president, Jed Bartlett, says to Sam Seaborn, you're going to make a great president one day, or you're going to run for president. Uh, and I just really... Line. And I just really, really want them to make a West Wing 2 right now with Sam Seaborn or Charlie Young running for president. And, like, I just need one season. But, like, I think that'd be great because I really love Rob Lowe. And I like Charlie, Charlie Young, too. Charlie, though. Charlie is the they're, they're all so good. They just did a really good job casting. Okay. That's it. I just really <laughs> yeah, but think... Also, fun fun fact about uh, Jed Bartlett that I heard is that he was it was originally supposed to be Rob Lowe's show basically and he was yeah. going to be the lead and then the first episode they they were just going to have the president you know be this kind of aloof figure who sometimes shows up and guest stars but not you know somebody who is a main character on the show but then in the pilot they bring him in toward the very end and he just takes over this entire scene that he's in you know and he dominates it and they're like okay this is our guy more of him please <laughs> yeah i it's 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 kind of interesting to see how the first episode is so different from the rest of the show. And I know that Rob Lowe leaves in later seasons. I found that out and I'm kind of disappointed, but it, no it makes sense. It's not a spoiler. The show was on when we were like, Statue of limitations. Uh, um, I know that and I'm watching it. So I know he's going to leave and I'm, I'm kind of sad, but I just imagine that he moves on to park and rec parks and rec. So that's yeah. Okay. And, and, Oh, and Josh Molina comes on. Yeah. That's, I just asked my, my roommate watches, uh, West Wing a lot, or she has watched West Wing a lot, so I asked her, and she's like, "Yeah, that's just Molina's coming in to replace him." Awesome. So, well, I mean, they do overlap for a little sorry. while. I'm sorry. Oh. Say that again. I, yeah, I think they they overlap for a little while. Mm. He's not like brought in as a direct replacement. Like how Ainsley Haynes was, came in and replaced Mandy. Okay. I mean, <laughs> Mandy disappeared out of off the face of the earth, and Ainsley Hayes wasn't brought in until like two episodes. Later. No, she was brought in two episodes really? later. Yeah, she was brought in two episodes later. Really? Yeah, or wow. like, yeah. I just don't even remember what they did with Mandy because they didn't even explain anything. They had the shooting. They were just and like, Mandy she's not there. working. Bye. No, they didn't even say anything. They had the, yeah, like, I know. the finale. That's like then... that implied. I don't know. It was nothing. Yeah, there's a trope I think on TVTropes.org uh, that it just calls it putting the character on a bus where they just leave with no explanation. Uh, but, but yeah, I really think that Jed Bartlett is like the president that we should all strive to be because he's he's set in his ways and he wants America to become what he envisions for America. But he's he's like I feel like this is like a quote out of like Pocahontas or something. Like he's not he's 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 like a tree that's willing to bend when like a storm comes. 
but he's still stable enough that he's not going to get toppled over. And I think that's like something that I, I like seeing from politicians who like, I don't need to agree with you on every point, but I, I like that you believe in your point, And when you realize that your point is wrong, you're willing to change your beliefs. Okay. And that's Jed Bartlett. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So SM, who is your favorite fictional politician? Um, well, I'm going to go with, uh, Captain John Sheridan from Babylon five. Um, although he doesn't, doesn't start out as a political figure. He's the captain of Babylon five, which is an internet, an intergalactic space station. Um, and it is basically a hub for diplomacy of all different alien races. And so whoever is put in charge there, whatever their background is, they basically become a political figure because that is their job to negotiate between all of these different races that have all of these different concerns and to try and navigate all of that, even though they don't necessarily have diplomatic training. Like, uh, he's much more of a military man. He's, uh, he's more of a jarhead and he can, he, he's very good at military strategy and that's like his claim to fame, but he is not, um, he doesn't have any, you know, formal training and, um, he just kind of has to figure it out as he goes along. And, uh, he later does, uh, there, there are points in the show where he has to make serious political decisions and he will later become an actual political figure of a an even greater uh, body of you know a, a big alliance between the world, like basically the UN for the international community, which didn't exist in the beginning of the show, um, but does exist by the end of the show. And that's a whole long story arc because Babylon Five is like it's a five-year novel basically, but the novel was never written. It's just a TV show with a five-year arc story that just goes throughout, and it just everything develops and things get really serious and huge changes happen. And there are times when um, when Earth cannot be trusted, and then Babylon Five is one of the few places where um, where they take a stand against the corrupt Earth government. And there's the there's of course the moment where they where they declare where Sheridan declares to his to his crew that they are basically they are taking the stand of open rebellion and if you are uncomfortable with this you you can leave now you can you know you can leave the space station take the next ship out you know with no hard feelings um, but you know if you're with me you know this is what we're doing and yeah like you know, the token one or two people walk out, uh, but everybody else stays. Sheridan, okay, so Sheridan, to sum up, is, um, he was a former military captain um, with a lot on his resume in that department, and he is basically shoehorned into this role as a diplomat, and a lot of his, um, and he doesn't necessarily have so much respect for the law um, when it doesn't, you know, suit and when it doesn't fit his his moral, you know, compass, um, and he will try to find ways to bend law to try and and de-escalate situations in the way that he um, that he feels is right. And sometimes um, there is no way to do it, and sometimes there is. And yeah, that's the he's and he's very stubborn, and he gets into lots of sticky situations. Um, but 
yeah, he's the hero, and yeah, we love him. Cool. So um, I have a bit of an advantage in that you guys both told me who you were going to do uh, before mm-hmm. I uh, picked mine. So I was like, all right, we have no women here, so I'm I'm picking Yay. a woman. <laughs> um, so I do want to give a shout out, even though I'm I'm actually not not picking this person uh to laura roslin of um battlestar galactica i can't really talk about in depth because i watched battlestar galactica like seven years ago and never watched the last season but i did want to shout her out as an awesome uh politician who definitely knows her way around uh who knows who knows her way around the process i guess we should say um but my my pick is actually um Elena Tyrell from A Song of Ice and Fire slash Game of Thrones. Uh, she's she's the Queen of Thorns. Yay! She is, I know. She's <laughs> I guess she's not technically a politician, but she's a noble in this world and that you know who makes who involves, you one? Yeah, yeah. She <laughs> involves herself in the politics in very interesting ways. And what I really love about her is that she perpetually wears the mask of oh, I'm just a teeny little old woman. Like I'm not, I'm not dangerous. I'm not a politician. I couldn't possibly be involved in anything shady. And, you know, she, she helps carry out one of the major events of the series, uh, through her machinations. And she is, um, every bit as conniving and as, you know, uh, protective of what she, of her, of her own goals as, you know, the, the, this more standard politicians, I guess, like Littlefinger and Varys and even Tyrion Lannister, you know, they they all are very determined to accomplish what, what they want. And so is she. And, you know, she her her goal is the preservation of the Tyrell family and the continued, you know, and, and perhaps the powerful growth of the Tyrell family. And the way she goes about achieving those ends, I just find really, really intriguing because it is so subtle and like, you know, she's one of those characters that you do read through the books if you're, if you're rereading and you see what she's actually doing when she's having a conversation with somebody or when she's kind of standing around twiddling her fingers and then you realize that she is, you know, a critical player in this um, and one that is so continually underestimated. So I kind of, I, you know, I don't necessarily think that being, you know, sneaky and sly is, you know, the best way of doing things, but there are politicians that do that. And there are, I think, even, even more so people auxiliary to government, people who work in government, and that's just the way they function. So I really enjoy kind of her, um, you know, her portrayal and also the, the inherent feminism in what she does because she's put in her position because she is a woman and she is not able to kind of stand up and go like, well, here's what we're doing. And that's what you're going to do, you know, to her family or to anybody in the court. So she, you know, she finds her own way and she's teaching Marjorie that as well. I was thinking of Marjorie to, doing Marjorie actually too, but she's mm. more from uh, the series and the books. She's not as much of a political player, but yeah. So the queen of thorns, Elena Tyrell. It's like the, in um, my big fat Greek wedding, um, the mother says, you know, the man is the head of the house, but the woman is the neck, and she can turn the head any way she wants. Yeah. Yeah, Olena kind of, she kind of tells, she kind of, like, creates the impulses 
for for people's head to turn, I think, for like her son's head to turn, and for you know politics to move in the direction she likes. Um, and you know, and she's not like. I also I think I like her because she isn't as um, ridiculously mastermindy as Varys and Littlefinger. Because I mean, those guys it feels like they must have just written a script for like years. <laughs> They're and playing years. a very long game. Yeah, exactly. And and Olena is as well, but she's but it's not that long. Like her goals are actually more concrete and more realistic, and more you know both both of those characters. Once you get to their hearts, that what they ultimately want is quite quite lofty whereas you know maybe olena wants the tyrells to be you know the kings maybe she just wants an independent reach maybe she wants you know more you know more power in the court it's you know her her goals are you know more suitable i think for for an actual like feudal royal system so i really really enjoy that and she's hilarious also so like bonus (laughs) Do you guys want to give any shout-outs to other characters? Uh, sure. I, I want to like, give out a shout-out to the Vorkosigan couple. Um, and, oh, uh, yes. I thought you uh, bring that up. And, yeah, in yeah, uh, Lois McMaster Bujold's, like series, but, like, Arl and Cordelia, because they end Ooh. up... I mean, it's a really long story, and I really thought I wouldn't like it because I don't typically read sci-fi, but I really I really liked them, and as I liked them as a couple and as individual characters, but I also thought that they're they were kind of forced into politics and neither of them really liked it but they each felt that it was an honor and a a necessity for them to be political players and they could just stop i mean you could just leave politics one day but politics doesn't leave you if you're a major player in the game and i I just really liked how they they handled it and how they ended up rising to essentially run a planet and they were able to I i don't want to give spoilers for the most recent book in the series since it's not like 20 years old um but there's a lot to learn from two really independent characters in that series and how they address different political situations differently and still are able to like sit down and have dinner and make a baby together (laughs) (laughs) and my favorite character in that series is actually um the emperor the emperor is so good i love him so much i I I guess I, I, I have a type in fiction for, you know, the very thoughtful and reserved and deliberate um, kind of people who just, you know, they, they listen to everything and they know a lot more than they say. Um, and they are a lot smarter than you would think just by, you know, listening to what they say and but they always have total control of the situation and they know what they're doing and they have backup plans. And yeah, he isn't always like this. Um, in the beginning of this, in the beginning of the series where you, you know, when you meet him when he's young, um, uh, she hadn't developed this part of him, but as he gets older, you see that like, he's really matured into this like really authoritative leader, just very quietly leading and, everybody in the right direction and he's and she so does good. A, and she does a really good job at like making you not hate an emperor which is difficult and i i i think that that's like also a really great thing that she wrote into this series that there are politicians who are career people but there's also this emperor who meddles in politics and he meddles quite a bit but you don't necessarily realize that because 
he he's a public figure who's not really supposed to partake in certain things, but he has his hands in everything, and you just really end up well, respecting it is his him. Planet. It, he is he is an authority figure, and it is his planet. So if anything goes wrong, you know he he would feel responsible. And these are his subjects; yeah, I, they I, are both sworn to him. And it's like a feudal system. Yeah, so, I read the books. Yeah, yeah. I'm just explaining for other people who don't know. <laughs> um, so they are oath sworn to him. So it's an interesting, you know, there's a division between the emperor and like the council of counts, which I guess is the Congress and the people who are the political figures and who are the military people. But he is like the single most powerful and, you know, the face of the planet. Um, when I was reading it, I felt kind of more, it was like similar to England, just as like the Magna Carta was being written. Cause as like the books went on, the counts, like, the, the council of counts seemed to matter less and more people were like more average people were involved in the political political and military situation than like just like people who were born into it so that's kind of where i'm coming from where i think that he was ruling at a time in the books in the series where the average every man can get like lifted to different ranks and he still managed to use his like I don't want to say sneakiness because he's not like super. I mean, he's super sneaky, but um, <laughs> he he managed he managed to be regal and subtle in a way that wouldn't offend anyone and wouldn't cause anyone to realize that there's something that he was even doing a lot of the time. Like yeah. the way that the characters talk about him is as if he's this larger than life persona because he's all knowing and because he's he's sort of all powerful, but it just comes down to him being really aware of everything that's going on. And I think that's kind of what a good politician can do. And I just, I, I appreciate that you said Gregor because I like the couple because they're more, Gregor's like kind of a side character who doesn't get as much attention in a lot of the books. Yeah, he never has a, a point of view section. I would love a point of view book from, you know, about Gregor, but we're not going to get one. Mm. So I have no idea what you guys are talking about, but I appreciate your <laughs> Sorry. enthusiasm. That's okay. <laughs> I'm surprised you, you have haven't to read, read these books, Michal. I, That's I what know. you're saying here. They're really long, right? And there's a lot of them, and they're sci-fi. They're not as long as, like, oh. they're not nearly as long as Game of Thrones. They're not nearly as long as most epic fantasy. Yeah, but my TBR pile is just, I mean, it's not. Yeah, but they're like literary popcorn. They go pretty fast. We'll uh, so, I mean... Uh, just about your comment about them being sci-fi, I thought also, but they read more like fantasy books than most sci-fi books that I've read. Like I think they're the, like space opera officially. Is that what they count as? Uh, she just doesn't like. There's very little technical sci-fi stuff. Like if you just in your brain Without transmute the like the lasers, if you transmute the lasers to like magic and just instead of planets, you have different countries. You get like a world that is not so different from a lot of fantasy books and i haven't found that the case with a lot of sci-fi books i've read i just i typically steer away from it but my friend did suggest that i read them she's like you're gonna love these because we have very similar taste in books so i trusted her and it was a good it was a good thing to do yeah there there is technology like there's uh and then there's technology that has huge impact like there's these uterine replicators so women don't have to be pregnant anymore yeah. they just put the fetus in the replicator um and it just pops out when it's ready and that's awesome and women are you know it's a huge step forward for for women you know being able to just be you know full citizens all the time and never have to deal with any of the pregnancy discrimination um 
but there's there's lots of discussions about you know about which is which is better and yeah there, there's there's stuff to be had but they don't get into the technicalities of how the uterine replicators work it's all about the consequences of the technology not really the technology itself so uh i feel like i mentioned her every every episode but if you read sherwood smith's books like the exact same concept was applied to her birthing spell in in that world so a oh, lot of cool. what was yeah so like a lot of what was going on i was just like if that was that planet, this would happen. And they also have like similar politics between nations. So I was able to like condense it and it, and it did relate a lot. But yeah, like SM says, like there's no like this computer did this and there's no like robots just roaming around everywhere. Like there's no droids or anything. It's just mostly people in space. Cool. All right. <laughs> awesome. And they're really good characters. There's good characters and good dialogue and good jokes. Really good jokes. And really gross bugs. It it's on <laughs> it's on the potential list. It's on the potential list. So it's on my one day. I have to buy all the books, and like that's on my potential list to buy the books that I actually <laughs> like. And I'm just like, okay. Well, they have like a lot of omnibus editions, so you can yeah. buy books in one. I know, but I I still I've been trying to save some money and. By not buying my dad, my dad bought all these books before I even read them, so like I didn't have to worry about that. That works. All right, so that is it for this episode of Nice Jewish Fangirls. SM, where can people find you on the internet place? You can find me on Facebook and you can find me on my blog at smrosenbergblog.wordpress.com and on Amazon on my author page. And Tamar, how about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tamar underscore underscore Herman. That is two underscores. And you can read my work on Billboard. I'm also on Instagram at, at Tamar Herman NYC, but I don't post anything related to fandom there. So I'll probably edit that out. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at Ink as Rain. And you can find my writing at hypable.com, including an article about a series of unfortunate events. But don't read that until you have finished the entire series. Okay? I'm serious. Uh, <laughs> oh, I was going to go read it right now, so I'm glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Entire series spoilers. It's, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, you can find Nice Jewish Fangirls at our home base website, which is uh, jewishcoffeehouse.com. You can find us on Twitter at Jewish Fangirls. You can email us. Please email us at nicejewishfangirls at gmail.com. And we are now on Facebook as well, which is awesome. And uh, yeah, so you can just search for Nice Jewish Fangirls and like our page. We are thinking of actually doing some maybe live stream things, possibly maybe ideas are, are coagulating around the spaces here uh so that is happening and just so you all know in an upcoming episode we will be discussing wishful drinking by carrie fisher thank you all for listening and live long and prosper Bye.